0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hey, I'm Steve Engelhart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
0: everybody this is the epic marvel podcast and i am your host curtis findley today i'm presenting to you an interview with steve Englehart. now steve has been all over the marvel universe i think he's written like every nearly every character and he also had that really highly acclaimed run on batman which he did with marshall rogers in this interview, we go behind the scenes on how he got the job on the Fantastic Four, the decisions he made when he decided to take out Reed and Sue uh, and mutate the Thing and Miss Marvel into a Thing character as well, as well as a lot of the behind the scenes office politics that uh, caused him or that led to his uh, leaving the book pretty prematurely. We'll eventually release this to the public, but you're hearing it right now because you are a Patreon supporter we want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. And as a way of saying thank you, we're making these interviews exclusives uh, on our Patreon page for for those who are pledging $5. Eventually, all of the interviews will be released as regular episodes, but um, in the meantime, you can go to our Patreon site, pledge a little bit, and get access to a bunch of different interviews. Um, Right now, as of this recording, there's stuff up there from um, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, John Bogdanov, and we're just adding more every week. It's just our way of saying thank you for being a supporter of our podcast. We couldn't do it without you listeners. This interview is a companion episode to the episode Fantastic Four, Volume 17, All in the Family. You may have heard a few of the clips from this interview in that episode. Well, here's the whole thing. Um, Please enjoy this interview with Steve (music) Englehart. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, your name, your Stan Lee name is Stainless Steve Engelhart. Is that right? Right. Right. Now, was that given to you actually by Stan himself?
1: I don't. I think it probably was, but I don't really remember at this point. Um, I've said often enough that it was, it was really a bullpen back in those days. It was a small group of people. Everybody, you know, having a great time doing comics. I mean, it really was. It sounds like Stan Lee hype, but it really was. So, um, I'm not sure how we got to that, but, but it was just part of the group fun. Um, now you did, um, a long
0: run with, um, Avengers and left in the seventies, um, right. to do, to do other things. And then you came back to, to, uh, to work on West Coast Avengers. Is that correct? Yeah. Now, and then how did the Fantastic Four fall in your lap?
1: um, Well, I did come back in the 80s. Um, I didn't have anything scheduled when I came back. They gave, you know, they offered me the the West Coast Avengers and the Vision Witch, and then later the Surfer. So the FF came up uh, several years after I'd come back at that point. But, um, uh, you know, John Byrne had had a long run on the FF, and after he left, um, they were sort of scouting around for some different way to go. And, and I, you know, I know there was at least one writer between me and Byrne. There might have been a couple. I don't remember. But um, it was uh,
0: it was just Roger Stern had a few issues in there.
1: OK, well, I knew. Yeah, I knew Roger was in there um, anyway. So uh, like everything in those days, they just came to you and said, I mean, do you want to write the Fantastic Four But rather than you will be writing it? But, I mean, people didn't ask for assignments in those days. I mean, it was it was all run from the top down. So, okay. you know, they came and they said, we want you to do the FF. It's like, okay,
0: sure. Right. Um, and so then you started on FF. Did you have any kind of editorial mandates or were you kind of free to do your own thing?
1: I was free to do my own thing. That was, you know, that was at the end of, of the, the Marvel age as I see it. Um, yeah. So there was still you know, there was still that, that freedom. Um, when I say run from the top down assignments came from the top down, but editorial did not come from the top down at that time. So yeah, I just, you know, I took over the FF and it was up to me what I wanted to do with it. And one of the first things
0: you did was take Reed and Sue out of the picture.
1: Yeah. Well, I thought we were now at issue 303, 300 and something. Um, and, I really thought that things had gotten stale in that book. I mean, there's there's definitely a large contingent of people who feel that it ought to be Reed and Sue and Ben and Johnny all the time. Uh, maybe because I'd written The Avengers and The West Coast Avengers and all that, I looked at it and I said, you know, I, this book needs to be shaken up. I thought it had sort of um, gotten stale. Reed and Sue had been saying for years and years in the book, years and years, that they were going to like drop out at some point and take care of their child. And I thought, okay, let's do that. And, and the reason for it, um, it wasn't just a whim. What I really liked about the early FF. I mean, I'm talking the first 10 issues and stuff was that they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They, you know, they, they got the powers and then they sort of had to invent what it meant to be a superhero for the Marvel universe and, and for themselves. And I thought, we haven't seen that in a long time. They've become very sort of standardized, the same group, this you know, their their position in the Marvel Universe, all that stuff is is all very settled at this point. And I thought if Reed and Sue left and it was only Ben and Johnny and they had to find two more people, and Ben got to be in charge, which he had always wanted to do. I mean, that was stuff that I could see could could generate interesting stories, you know, stuff that I thought would be interesting. Um, so that's what I did.
0: And it's obvious right at the beginning um, they come across a problem that needs some sort of intellectual answer, and it's right off the bat they don't have read anymore, so they have to figure right. out a different way to do it. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely different a different makeup of, uh, of uh, skill sets now.
1: Yeah, they were still, you know, it's still, because it was uh, Ben and Johnny, it was still the FF in terms of, of their shared history and their vibe and all that kind of stuff. But they did have to, you know, they were all thrown into new roles, new things that they had to do that they didn't have to do when the other system was in place. And, and again, I found that interesting, and that's where I went. So out of
0: all of the characters in the Marvel Universe, you chose Crystal and Miss Marvel to join the team. Why?
1: Um, well, Crystal... Was pretty obvious. I mean she had been Johnny's girlfriend once upon a time, you know He had he had moved over to Alicia, but Alicia was never you know It never seemed like a serious to the death romance between the two of them and uh, You know, I thought Johnny being confronted with a woman that he had been involved with back in the day that again would lead to storyline possibilities uh, and she had a history with the FF, obviously, through the Inhumans and everything else. So, you know, that was all good. And I, and I had written her in, in Vision Witch. And Vision Witch was very much a a soap opera. Um, right. I, I will just, you know, I'll, for people who don't know, it was a 12-issue run. And after I got Wanda pregnant, each issue took place in real time over the space of nine months. And... and you know, so it lent itself to a more of a, a female perspective. And part of that was a sort of soap opera thing with Crystal falling, you know, getting involved with somebody else and, and causing problems over in that book. So Crystal had a history with me and with the Marvel universe and F, specifically with the FF. So bam, she was in the other one, I was looking around, you know, who, you know, and you could, there's an infinite number of people who could join the FF. Um, And I was looking for somebody who wasn't so obvious. And I was intrigued, you know, Ms. Marvel's backstory was that she had been raped. Um, And I had this idea that hanging out with the thing would be kind of a safety zone for her would be something where she would be kind of a damaged refugee in a sense to, you know, to come in. And he's so big and solid and, and, you know, trustworthy and all that. I thought, now that's an interesting dynamic. I didn't think about her turning into the thing later on, but that, you know, that led that, concept came directly from the original concept, which was that the two of them might make an interesting, um, story. And so now we had two men and two women. Um, and that was a little different for the FF and she was not a big star. So that was a little different for the FF. And again, you know, just as a writer, I just saw that there were a lot of things I can do with that. I mentioned a minute ago that there is a contingent who thinks that it should always be reading and Sue and Ben and Johnny. And I certainly heard from them <laughs> Yeah, yes. um, at the time. Um, it's interesting to me, your mileage may vary, but it seems like this run has, you know, um, people have understood it better over time. You know, I mean, at the time there was, there were, you know, a lot of people liked it, but there were a lot of people who were not too crazy about it. Uh, but it seems to have, um, grown on people over the years
0: one of the very first ff comics i ever got was your last issue on this run um yeah
1: you said that that's weird
0: and that's so strange and it's uh and it was bizarre for me i had no idea what was going on i knew who the fantastic four were from the trading cards all right. but this is like they were fighting each other and I didn't know which ones were the good guys and which ones were the bad guys so it was quite yeah. good but then years you know as the years went on I started collecting the back issues and your run is, is just so, it's well it's bizarre and it's uh, it, there's so much great stuff in it and uh, it's unlike any other Fantastic Four um, and as I learn more about the history kind of the behind the scenes that you talk about on your website it uh It it, it was kind of eye-opening in that sense as well.
1: Yeah, well, that was, you know... So we had office politics involved in the whole thing, too, which we may or may not get to on this call. But, I mean, uh, there was a lot going on Mm -hmm. outside the actual comic book at that time. But, um, you know, I wanted to write an FF, which was, you know, which had the solid feel of the FF, and yet I wanted it to be different from all other FFs. So No, there you go.
0: So, at what point did you get to uh, decide that you wanted to mutate the thing further and miss Marvel?
1: Um, I was just, you know, I was all all my writing. You know, I'll get an idea and I'll say, okay, that's. I'll get to that down the line, or I can sort of see what I want to do for the next three issues. But by and large, a lot of it was just kind of spur of the moment. I mean, I I like to write things. You know, I've said in the past um, you know if you take any character and say I'm going to do a character that's just like that except I'm going to change one thing then pretty soon you're writing a different character I mean because that one thing makes the guy make a decision to go left instead of to go right and then he's on the left and so he's working from that and it just everything kind of leads my example and all that was Mantis who just kind of kept explaining herself to me as I wrote her through the Avengers. Um, I had no plan. She just, she did something. And then that meant she had to do something else. And then when she did that, she had to, so it was kind of the same deal that I didn't, as I said, I didn't think from the start, Oh, I'm going to mutate these people. But the more that I played with that thing about her needing to kind of shield herself from the world, um, And the idea that I, you know, I wanted to do the FF, but a new and kind of, you know, refreshed FF, the idea of the thing mutating further, her mutating into a thing um, came to me. And then and then out of that came the idea that she liked it and he and he was horrified, you know, or, you know, you know, I mean. Each in each case it was just the character sort of saying, This is, you know, this is who I am and this is what I'm gonna do. I mean, you can argue, did I actually understand the character or, you know, did I make the right choices on their behalf or any of that kind of stuff, but it all seemed very it all seemed very straightforward to me. And I did think, you know, yet another part of my brain is the guy who's writing commercial comics and I thought mutating the thing, that would look pretty good. Yeah. That, would, <laughs> you know, that that'd be all right. I'm not sure. I think it was Rich Buckler um who did the first design. Obviously there's a lot more spikes involved in the in the revamped thing, so I don't know if he was harder to draw than to draw all the <laughs> yeah. box, you know?
0: I would just imagine <laughs> it he would be. Yeah, well and I like the um I like just his attitude. He was shocked at first but he's like, Oh yeah, well I mutated but I was already monster, so now I guess I'm just a little bit more a monster. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but see, he'd lived, I mean, that's something going way back to the beginning again, where he, you know, he hated being a monster, but he had to come to terms with it. And after 300 issues, again, you know, he was totally, you know, good with being a monster. So that was something I wanted to shake up. But the thing, you know, but he never really got rid of the idea that he sort of deep down didn't want to be a monster. And the fact that this beautiful woman that he was interested in is going, I'm liking it, you know, because then, you know, I'm not going to be a sex object anymore, and that'll be fine.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about Facade and and creating that character?
1: Well, this was the last half of the 80s. Um, Saudi Arabia was um, you know, an oil uh, you know, oil for cars and gasoline and stuff. That had sort of come into people's consciousnesses in the 80s, and You know, I just thought, well, there's, you know, there's an interesting thing, and I, I will say about facade. The only thing I'll say there, somebody said to me, it didn't immediately cross my mind, but somebody said, you know, the, uh, people in Saudi Arabia wear suits. They don't wear, you know, um,
0: their traditional headdress, traditional
1: hooded. I was going to say burkas, but that's not it. But you know, and so I said, and I remember I said in the art directions when we were creating the character, I said, don't put him. You know, in a burka, and then <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> and then they did. Well, I don't know burka, but I mean, don't put him in the traditional thing. And then and then it kind of went there. But otherwise, it's like Doctor Doom is the head of Latveria. Um, over on the on the uh, master of kung fu side of things, I've I've always said that I see Fu Manchu as kind of the Dr. Doom of, of the Chinese, not yep. the representative of the Chinese people. He's a supervillain. He just happens to be Chinese. So facade was a supervillain. He just happened to be, um, you know, Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think we were big fans of the Saudi Arabians at that time, but I mean, you know, I wasn't trying to do anything particularly political there. I just thought, here's a part of the world that hasn't been used yet and, yeah. and, they could have they could have their own supervillain, you know, hmm.
0: there's one issue, uh, the issue right after Sharon mutates and becomes a thing. She tries to kill herself repeatedly. All right. Now, did you get pushback, any pushback from either editorial or from the, the public about having this this suicide issue in here?
1: Not really. Uh, no. Um, over in the West Coast Avengers. Sorry, I just wrote a lot of stuff, but. Yep. In, I did a I did a sequence where Hank Pym was going to commit suicide because he felt like he had, you know, he'd tried 43 different superhero identities and they, none of them had worked. And so um, <clears throat> he was going to do himself in. And that was a very popular run. People liked that. Right. So, you know, so suicide was not off the table by any means. Um, and again, um you know, I've been talking about how much she liked it, but she, you know, the, the transition was was a shock to the system. And and um, you come back to the fact that she's playing off Ben, who is so solid and so, you know, understanding, you know, he, he he's a good guy. And um, so him getting her through that um, seemed like a thing. And, and no, this was, I mean, we were still, we were getting pretty close to editorial interference, but we weren't there yet. So, you know. Okay. It seemed like a good idea, and I did it, and nice. there was no pushback.
0: You had a, a really large story arc that spanned, um, I don't know, seven or eight issues or so, where they're kind of hopping through these different warps to different places. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny, at one point, calls it an Alice in Wonderland adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you and then at the very end, it just gets bigger and bigger and it just becomes this huge thing. Can you tell me a little bit about writing that story Um, specifically because you you dive deep into so many odd pockets of the Marvel Universe through that and tie it all together? Um,
1: Uh, Yeah, well, the FF, again, they're the linchpin of the Marvel Universe. I mean, they were the first. The Hulk, I think, was the second, and then Spider-Man was the third. And Spider-Man went on to become maybe you know Thor and, and other people might have been in there. Uh, it, I don't at the beginning, but in any event, uh, the FF were like the first, but they kind of got overshadowed by Spider-Man after a while and all that. Right. Um, but still, they were the first, and they were kind of where everything else came from. <clears throat> and so, to my mind, everything in the Marvel universe. Was open to the FF. I mean, you know, if you're writing a different book, you might not want to go all those places. But the FF, to me, are just kind of even. Even if they weren't, you know, tied into the cat people or whatever they might be, they you know all that stuff was part of um, part of their heritage, shall we say. So I was looking for things that kind of expanded you know not expanded but kind of marked out different frontiers on on the on the Marvel universe that I could use in the FF and again it's it the in terms of writing the story it was just a thing of again I start off down a road and I go okay well then the next step would be this let's do that and then the next step would be this and let's do that and part of that i mean there's there is by this time I certainly was a professional comic book writer so I was you know part of me was thinking big epics are good uh that's that's a good thing for selling comic books and I you know when I did I'm sorry to keep referencing other books but no, it's is, is fairly late in 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 you know in my original run yeah um when I did Avengers Annual 2 which was a time travel thing with Ramatut and Immortus and Kang and all that, yeah. um, somebody said to me, "You know, nobody ever gets time travel right. There's just too many things you have to think through." <laughs> so that, to me, is a challenge. I said, "I'm going to do it." You know, and I and I was real happy with the way that the the, uh, the that time travel thing came out. Thinking about you know the the contradict uh, the problems involved in making that work. So that kind of is one place where I kind of said, you know, I guess I can handle these big things. Let's, you know, I, I liked to write things as big as possible, I guess, you know, just really get them out there and, and, and trust in myself to keep it all tied together.
0: Now you, uh, you changed the Beyonder quite a bit Mm. in that one as well. Um, Was Marvel, because the Secret War's 2 it already happened so right. Marvel had no real plans for this character at the time
1: no Marvel hated that character Mar- That <laughs> <Yeah>. character <laughs> that character was a Jim Shooter special okay. And okay. shooter shooter had been ousted um and the guys who were left I mean there's all these stories about how shooter treated people badly and, and you know and this and that I wasn't really involved in that I I wouldn't tell you they weren't true based on what I know, but I mean, I didn't experience it, so I can't say specifically. But um, Ralph Macchio, who was my editor on the FF, came and said, I want the Beyonder written out of the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Uh, You know, you can do anything you want to do, but I want him out. And and I had, you know, I personally had not been a big fan of the Secret Wars. Um, You know, I didn't think that was... That I didn't think that was an epic that was that was t- took advantage of all the things it could have taken advantage of, um, but when I sat down to kind of, you know, okay, let's reread the Secret Wars and figure out who the Beyonder could be and what can I do with him and all you know all that stuff that yeah. I have to do, um, I found that I kind of liked him. I mean, not not to not, I didn't love him, but um, you know, I I thought. You know, Shooter never treated me bad, um, and I don't have any need to, like, screw Shooter in the, you know, in the in the great scheme of things. And this character I can do something with. So, you know, I wrote what I hoped was, um, you know, I got rid of him, but I hoped that I gave him some dignity and gave him, a you know, an interesting storyline and, and all that kind of thing along the way. Right that's yeah so that's it for that so did you
0: when you uh first took the team into the mole Man's caverns did you have that outcome with the beyonder in mind at that time
1: no 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 oh, okay. very definitely another thing that kind of one thing led to another wow. thing led to another thing
0: wow because you it's just so you tie everything together so well it, it seemed like you had all of these different threads kind of planned from the from the outside of that adventure
1: Well, we like you to think that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, you know, it was just a skill that I had, you know, to be able to, like, pull things together and and make it look smooth. What was it like working with John Buscema? It was interesting because um, at that point in time, he was pretty burnt out on doing superheroes. He he wanted to do Conan. That's what he liked. Yeah. Um, And... I had started my career with his brother, Sal. I did, I did The Defenders with Sal. I did Captain America with Sal. I had Sal, you know, as a guest artist on The Avengers and other places along the way. Um, so I knew Sal really well, and I didn't know John. John, it, this is just internal Marvel stuff, but, I mean, when Kirby left, they needed another Kirby, and Stan chose John to be the guy. No and so and so John, you know, took over Kirby's books, um, and got a lot of you know deserved, you know, he was a great artist, but he also got a lot of publicity, you know, pushing him as the new, you know, the new guy. So he became sort of entrenched at with the upper levels of the totem pole at Marvel, shall we say? I mean, when Stan left, Roy took him over, and and you know, um, I you know, I think I might've, I think my first issue of the Avengers was by John actually, but I mean, basically I never hadn't really worked with John. Um, and so I knew his brother a whole lot better than I knew him. And when I did meet him, he was kind of like kind of out, um, If I may say, I mean, right. uh, there is a cover. Uh, this is going to be really for the, for the super fans out there or whatever, but, there's a cover of the Avengers that he did with Roy somewhere around maybe number eighty. I'm just guessing. I could be way off, but it's Quicksilver running away from the rest of the Avengers, and it's it's positioned at an angle. He's coming out at you with super speed, and it's, and you know, and, and you're looking at it in one of those Batman angly things. It's really a nice cover the first cover that we did for the FF is Quicksilver running away from the fantastic four. And it's a much less interesting <laughs> approach. It's just, you know, it's straight on, it's squared yep. off. It's like, he's running out there. Um,
0: that's Avengers number 75 that you're referencing
1: there. Okay, good. There you go. Yeah. Um, if you look at those two covers, you can see that John had, you know, he'd lost his enthusiasm for this kind of thing. Um, And I I will say one more thing about John. When he first came to Marvel, he had this fabulous style. Everybody, you know, the early John Buscema was really great, and they told, you know, when he became the new Kirby, they said, well, you got to kind of make it look more like Kirby. you got to square it off and and box it out and all that. Um, And he did a fabulous job doing that for a long time. But I think in the end, um, superheroes... Marvel style was getting to weigh on him and that's why he liked to do Conan. Anyway, so you yeah. know, he was there. But like all those books, I mean Buckler did some, Keith Pollard did some. I mean, everybody. Um uh, again, you didn't you didn't get together with an artist and say, hey, let's do a series together. You just sort of took whoever they assigned to you that right. month, right. you know. So um I didn't interact much with John. I just sent him the plots, and he sent me the art, and there we were.
0: Um, so, was your uh, was your relationship on Fantastic Four different than with Keith Pollard or Rich Buckler?
1: It's an odd thing to say because John Buscema is John Buscema. But I mean, in some ways, I you know I respected Rich and Keith a little more because they were still you know trying to do great you know, they were trying to do great comics and 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 I don't think John was trying to do great comics he was doing perfectly serviceable comics right um but no I mean I was I live in California yeah they I'm not sure where Keith lives but you know Rich lived back uh east so you know I would I would meet these guys in those days um I would fly to New York four times a year for a week and um you know, hang around the Marvel offices and schmooze with people and and so forth. So I, you know, I would see them now and again, but um, basically, I, you know, I I was not in physical contact with any of those guys.
0: Right. So you're um you're still doing Marvel Method at this point, correct? Right. And yeah. So um, but you don't you just don't have the same sort of back and forth um, that some of the other um, artist writers have, and mainly because of distance?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, What I liked to do, you know, by necessity, in a sense, but I mean, you know, I would, I would, when I would do plots, I would come up with, I would tell the artist everything that he needed to know. If it was important that two guys are talking on Skype, I would say that if it didn't matter, I'd say, you know, it's just two guys talking for an example, Uh, but I wanted to leave them as much room as possible to do, you know, for their take. And, you know, if they came up with an idea and they said, you know, I really think we could change this and make it work. They could call me up and we could talk about it. You know, so I was, I was as accessible as I could be, but it was my job to have a complete storyline when it left my house. And then, and then, you know, we would see what we came up with afterwards. Um, I've done stuff where I've physically sat down with people and plotted stuff out Like with Frank Brunner for Dr. Strange. I've done stuff where uh, I've tried to do co-plotting over the phone, which I did with Al Milgram on Captain Marvel. That didn't really work out. It's a little too hard for two people who aren't seeing each other to kind of, you know, so I tried different ways, but most of the time I just did the Marvel style stuff.
0: Okay. Uh, you had uh, Mantis come into the the story here in FF, and this was yeah. kind of coming out of the pages of Silver Surfer at the time.
1: Yeah, that's that's where the that's where the the editorial problems started. Right after the issue where the She Hulk and the She Thing fought each other, I was talked to by editorial, and they said, you know, we're not so much interested in the comics anymore, we're interested in the merchandising, and we can't merchandise the Fantastic Four if you don't have Reed and Sue in there. (laughs) Um, And they also said on The Silver Surfer, uh, because on The Surfer, the thing I would wanted to get rid of was the one-issue stories where he ended up flying away, crying because of Shalabal, and they said, we want to go back to the one-issue stories where he flies away crawling, call, crying about Shalabal. Um, that just blew my mind. I mean, because that was complete repudiation of what Marvel had been. But in addition to that, I didn't think the ideas were, you know, all that good. And 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 so I resisted, and they pushed, and we had problems, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I brought Mantis into the west coast Avengers. And in the, I wrote an entire issue. And when they sent me the, um, proofs, the whole second half of that issue had been rewritten. Wow. Um, the, um, they, uh, you know, they were definitely going to force these books to go in the direction they wanted to go. And so, I had a a plot line in mind from Mantis, and I left the West Coast Avengers at that point, so I thought, well, I can maybe modify this and get it into the Fantastic Four, Um, and that's how she ended up in the Fantastic Four. But it was, you know, those were dark days.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and at that point, um, I was reading on your website about about a lot of this kind of behind the scenes stuff and knowing that all of a sudden you could tell that your writing sort of changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um and uh and you had these uh you know you put everybody in these tubes and you had these episodes or these issues that were all just kind of dreams and taking place in what if kind of scenarios and
1: I I said earlier I did everything sort of spur of the moment but sometimes I would have ideas and so, you know, when I did the Ultron, I had ideas for things I was going to do. If I had continued to do the FF, I was thinking, okay, I'll do an Ultron story, and I'll do, you know, this kind of story, and I'll do that kind of story. And all of a sudden, I was in this tug of war with editorial, and eventually they came to me and they said, we're going to give you six months to wrap stuff up, and then you're out of here, you know, because you won't play ball. Um so, over in the surfer, I was able to do a sort of six month epic to kind of tie things up and and go out on a high note. I hoped. Um, with the FF, I was stuck with characters. I mean, I didn't dislike Reed and Sue, but I just thought, you know, we had go, we had done so much other stuff, and I was pissed off, you yeah. know, and, you know, and all that. And I thought, well, all right, let's why don't we assume that the... Reed and Sue and Ben and Johnny group are kind of the fake FF, and, but, but the real FF can't be in this book because the editorial says they can't, so let's just have them dream what would have happened you know each one is a hallucination while they're stuck in this tube but it's really the story that i was going to tell in more down the road (laughs) right in more detail you know i mean each one was a one issue thing as it turned out each one would have run you know two or three issues if i'd been able to like really fill it out and all that kind of stuff but i had all these ideas and i said well it looks like i'm never going to write the ff again so what am i (laughs) going to do with these ideas if i don't if i don't do something with them so Yeah, so that last that last six months, I did take my name off of it. Um, I used to, when I when they first told me that I had to write what they wanted me to write, I changed it to SFX Englehart, which is, SFX is the abbreviation for sound effects. Yep. Um, and then, as I got less happy, even less happy than that, I just took Englehart out of it completely and changed it to John Harkness, which was kind of my default... Um, pen name when you know, uh, I, I John Harkness over the years is on books that I thought didn't really measure up to the standards that I wanted to meet, and I and I will just say I'm just dropping names everywhere I go. But um, when I was leaving DC, they said, "Oh, we want you to write one more issue of Captain Marvel," and I banged it out overnight, and I thought this can't possibly be any good, and I put John Harkness on it. And over the years, people have said, "Oh, we like that issue," you know. So you know, <laughs> you know what are you going to do? But, yeah, John Harkness was kind of like, yeah, I don't even want my name on this stuff, you know. It's,
0: uh, and there was one letter in one of the last issues from in the letters page that said, get rid of John Harkness, bring Steve Inglehart back. Yeah, yeah, well. Not knowing the, uh, that they're the one in the same.
1: Well, I mean, that was a period. It was owned by Revson, the guy who owned Revlon. And he was on record as saying he saw Marvel as a cash cow, and that's you know they just decided, let's go all in for merchandising and and that thing about let's have a thousand number one issues in bags that people will put in the basement, yeah, and you know they went bankrupt following that that approach, but that was their approach that's that's what they were gonna do and and in the end, you know, I'm just an employee, not even employee. I'm a work for hire, so you know. if if that's what they want to do then you know either I do it or I don't but I can't you know I can't control it
0: so when you say that that uh, Marvel made its infamous decision that innovation should end that's what you say on your website and you refer to this as being the end of the Marvel age that's when Marvel started thinking more corporately and toward merchandise rather than freedom to tell stories
1: yeah yeah Um, the end of the Marvel universe is is a sort of a Flexible thing. I, you know, I mean, I call it that because it ended the period in which people had complete creative freedom. That was what we had. That's how we did what we did. Yeah. Uh, There were still people, you know, like Walt Simonson doing Thor and stuff after that, who were, you know, um, willing to kind of fight for what they wanted to do. Um, uh, But yeah, end of the 80s, that's pretty much that's when they that's when they turned the corner.
0: Wow. So you, in your last issue of Fantastic Four, uh, Franklin comes up to a caricature of you who he calls John Harkness. All right. Um, with and you, And I assume it's your family that's there as well. Right.
1: Yeah, that's a, That's an unfortunate thing. That's if, if you look at my website, you will not find that issue listed. Um, oh, and, and the reason is I it be, that was OK. Now I'm wrapping up the family book at Marvel it would be a nice thing while well, I've got the chance to put my family in this book. Cause that's something they could look at later. Yep. And then uh, I even know who it was, but it, it doesn't really matter. But Marvel editorial decided let's put a goofy toupee on him, um, oh. and make him look stupid. Really? Um, yeah. That, I don't, I don't have a toupee. Um, and so, um, I took it as an attack on my family, you know? Oh, how uh, strange. Yeah, well, that's kind of where it was at at the time. So um, it, it basically ruined that issue for the purpose that I had in mind, which was to have something to show my kids later on. So, um, And did they also come up with the,
0: the line that you say at the very end, too? Or is, or is that your line? The one that's um, it's going to be take someone bigger than me to clean up this mess or something like that.
1: Ah, that sounds like something I might've said. I don't, <laughs> I don't recall, uh, you know, I really have not, I just sort of wrote that issue out of my, out of my brain. So yeah, I haven't yeah. looked at it in all those years. Um, uh, but I think my problem, I think the only real thing was where they put the, the goofy toupee on me. Um, uh, i don't think they rewrote it, but i 'm not okay. sure there were other books that they did rewrite, so it's, yeah. it's quite possible that it happened but i don't know
0: wow well well that's uh that's so strange that's unfortunate mm. um well wow that's a it's just a fascinating behind the scenes look
1: it was it wasn't all that fascinating at the time, but no i'm sure it know, wasn't yeah but there it was you know. Yeah, it was it was distressing. I mean, it really was because I I had drunk the Kool Aid. You know, I I believed in what Marvel. You know, I went from being a fan to being a writer to, to leaving Marvel, which astounded me. But then I went over to DC and did stuff that people liked, and I had a good time. And it's like, all right. Then I came back to Marvel. Marvel was still pretty much Marvel. Um, I never expected, um, you know, the ending that that they came to. But yeah, uh, and 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 as somebody who really liked Marvel comics, um, it, it was uh,
0: unhappy making. For sure, know? yeah, I can see that as being disappointing.